as we get into this, Paul, uh, the plot to kill Paul is going to happen. Paul declares a citizenship. Let's start with a prayer. Gracious Lord, we give you thanks to be gathered together around your word and about the testimony of your faithful people who endured far greater crises and persecutions than we have endured. Um, I'm grateful for the author of Hebrews who says, you have not endured to the shedding of blood. Um, and so, Lord, we, we fix our eyes on you and we take great hope in your promise and in your, uh, and in, and in your presence in our midst. Lord, protect those who are vulnerable and who are sick. And give guidance to our leaders and especially energy and patience and, and wisdom to our medical professionals and as they seek to serve our community and seek to care for, care for, these, uh, for our fellow citizens and for us. So, Lord, uh, help us to be faithful to your word and bless us according to your promise. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so chapter 22, verse 23, Paul then declares his citizenship to the, uh, to the uh, commander. And that was, uh, what was his name again? Claudius Gaius? Or, well, oh, um, Licinus. Licinus. Claudius Licinus. And so he talks about that. And I described to you what were the ways that you obtained your citizenship. So you could pay for it. You, had to, you could save up and pay for it. It was a massive investment. They, usually it was something like a year's worth of salary was what it took to purchase citizenship. Um, you could do a heroic act, or you could be naturalized, born into it. And so Paul was born into it, it says in verse uh, 28. So as soon as they get that, then the commander goes to the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, to say, hey, let's have them tell me what their beef is with Paul. So they then talk to him, but Paul, they give Paul the chance to, to share. So he, of course, preaches a sermon to them. Um, chapter 23 is now where we're at. Oh, yeah, this is interesting. I wanted to make this note. I just had a couple of notes in here. So Ananias is in here. Isn't that interesting? These guys change all the time. And Ananias, remember, he, that's a very common name. Mm -hmm. So Ananias is the high priest at that time. And um, remember, that's also the name of the man who baptized Paul when he converted. So he was a Christian in Syria and Damascus. Ananias and Sapphira were a couple Ananias was one, and they donated money, but were untruthful about it and withholding, and they died, you know, um, uh, being untruthful. Paul Peter says, you lied to the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And here's Ananias, a high priest. We know historically from Josephus, Ananias was despised by the Jewish people. Hated. He was assassinated, in fact, by the Jews. They just hated this guy. He was cruel. He was mean-spirited. And that's what he does there. I mean, he stands there and he tells him, hey, you know, punch Paul in the mouth for the things that he's saying. So they beat Paul uh, that way. And Paul then, essentially, it's kind of a prophecy. God will strike you. And that does, in fact, happen. He's kind of struck down by uh, people who assassinate him. So, and it's, and Paul calls him on it. You're actually calling me on violating the law, but you're violating the law. You know, this is, a, this is a real challenge. When you want to play by the law, if you want to play by the rules, you better observe the rules, right? Yes. And that's, that, to me, that is one of the greatest, greatest failures in leadership that I ever see. I'm going to put this on pause because I'm going to rant for just a second. Um, because, let's see. Ha, ah, there we go. All right, I think. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> 
I was struck by something reading this, and I don't want it to sound political, so I'm going to try to couch this. Solomon said, uh, Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. Yeah. And I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, the importance of citizenship, the value of citizenship, and put it in light of our contemporary problems with citizens, non-citizens, and all that, mm. I'm thinking, holy cow, this is... What, same three, thing. Same, yeah. It just repeats nothing time. Yeah, the, the same nothing questions new under the sun. are being asked. Same yeah. questions. How it's being dealt with changes all the time, yeah. but it's yeah. inevitably one of several options. But there is a value <laughs> here. That, and it's right. interesting, the value of Roman citizenship bestows mm -hmm. upon you certain rights and things. Mm -hmm. that, that, well, thank you. No, no, fair enough. Jonathan? Yes, sir? Wasn't citizenship was a minority in that? Oh, time. massive minority. Because yeah. Yeah. slavery was actually... Uh, yeah, it depends where you lived. It was about half the population, yeah. give or take, depending where you were. Slaves were about half the population. Yeah. I mean, almost like it was in the South, in yeah, pre pre Civil War South. Yeah. I think that was forty percent of the population so was in fact slaves. Was very valuable. Very oh yeah, huge, very huge costly. factor. And it, it tells you how to how you get it, pay for it, be born yeah. into it, or right. I mean, it's valuable. Well, and this becomes the theme through the rest of the book of Acts. This is what gets Paul to Rome. It gets him in front of governors, Festus and, and Felix and, and uh, Drusilla, you know, wives who we believe becomes a Christian. So it gets him in front of major leaders and ultimately in front of, uh, in Rome. And, th and that's where Paul is, in fact, kind of most prolific in his writing. He writes the greatest number of letters that we have from prison. So anyway, yes, so that's what gets him there is his citizenship. Otherwise, he probably would have been executed. Mm. He'd have probably been executed because he would have been a, uh, a nuisance. So here's what's interesting, too. So then they say, how do you dare insult God's high priest, right? And then Paul does it. This is just an insight into Paul's person. Paul replied, brothers, I didn't realize he was the high priest. It's written, don't speak evil about the rule of your people. So Paul apologizes. And, and essentially, we think this is an insight into he has very poor eyesight. Mm. Um, almost all commentators think bad cataracts or glaucoma because we have other ones where he doesn't write his own letters. Like even in one where it says, see with what large letters I write, because he has to write in big letters to be able to see it. So he probably has very seriously impaired vision. And we think that that's what he's talking about when he says, Three times I prayed for God to take away the thorn in the flesh. Mm -hmm. We think it was that. It could have been a temptation. It could have been a, a, a broken a grudge or a bad relationship. But we think it's that, that physical. Because he, I think he, he said, boy, if I didn't have this, think how much more effective I could be, right? You know, that, that kind of thing. Okay, so then he goes on. Then Paul uh, really does then give this uh, preaching. So he then, here he does, he does this. He's a smart guy. He then brings up the resurrection of the dead. Okay, so Jesus, I mean, others have done this before. Mm -hmm. And so, because he knows he can get him fighting, right? So this is like if you're trying to get witness testimony from someone in the impeachment trial, right? Yeah. And see if you can say something that will make both sides mad, <laughs> you know? Or say something that will get the minority shouting against the majority that's trying to do what they're doing. So. Paul does that. He says, I stand on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. Verse 6, when he said this, you got this dispute. And what it clearly showed, because who's actually observing this? Who called for this meeting? The Roman commander. So what Paul is doing, what's Paul doing? Divide and conquer. Yeah, and so it's almost like, and forgive me, I don't mean to be political at all, but it just intrigues me. John Roberts came and oversaw the impeachment trial. 
Yes. And to be honest, what somebody is trying, if, if he was really in charge, he's not in our system, but let's imagine that the Supreme Court uh, Chief Justice was to listen to both sides and then just render a verdict, right? What you would want to do would actually try to show that both sides are idiots. <laughs> I mean, you'd kind of yeah. want to say, this is a bogus thing. This is kind of a sham. I mean, you got nothing, and you're not really, you're just doing this to disrupt the country or to disrupt this thing or impugn this person's reputation. And I, I am, please, I am making no political comment here at all. I am not. I'm talking about that's kind of the process that he's using. So if he can say, so what, what does the Roman commander see? Well, these guys are arguing about nothing, right? That's what they're doing. But clearly, this man who is a Roman citizen, his life is in danger. So they're arguing about nothing. I think these guys are idiots. And but they are so angry that at first opportunity they will kill this man. So that's, what, that's the outcome of this. So now, so look at verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, and again, the editors believe this is Jesus, because it's in red in your book, if you have a red letter edition. The Lord said, take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify in Rome. That must have been just tremendously encouraging to Paul, to know that his life is not ending there. In fact, it's a point in my sermon today, in Jesus' high priestly prayer. That's a very cool thing when he says, I pray for the future generations. Think how that must have encouraged the disciples at that time, right? Hey, it doesn't end with us. We know there's a future. Isn't that cool? I think it's a cool thing. So, um, so then there's this plot. <clears throat> so then the Jews form a conspiracy. They bound, we're at verse 12, for chapter 23. They said, we're not going to eat or drink until they had killed Paul, which is always a little bit of a goofy oath, if you ask me, <laughs> right? <laughs> so it's like, I get weaker and weaker. Come here, Paul. <laughs> you know, you. Could you give me a drink before I stab you? You know, or whatever. I mean, but what they are doing is saying, in other words, they're saying, we're going to commit to do it now at whatever the cost. So we're going to do this now. And so they make this vow to do that. Forty men were involved in the plot, verse 13. They go to the chief priests and the elders and say, hey, we've made a vow until we've killed Paul. And then, um, so here's what it is. And then the word goes, so here's what we get. We get another insight into Paul's family, verse 16. So Paul's nephew, right, so his sister's son got word of it and then went to the barracks and told Paul. Paul told one of the commanders, the centurions, and said, hey, take my, ne my nephew up to Claudius Licinus. Um, Lysias and uh, tell him what's going on. The commander got it and then he says, okay, we're going to have to do something. So um, look at verse 23 then. So the commander had dismissed the young man and said, hey, don't tell anyone you told me this. So he gets the centurions. Now look at the order that he gives. This is something. Get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea. So Caesarea is the main Roman outpost in Palestine. Not Jerusalem. No, Caesarea is the main one. If you've been to the Holy Land and have seen these, it is a, it is a phenomenal um, scene. The Hippodrome and the palace that Herod built. The palace goes way out into the water. It's just cool, and it uses the ocean to create a swimming pool, saltwater swimming pool. It's just a phenomenal, it's just unbelievable. Again, it's just reminded me when I go there and I go, Colin, we think these people were dumb, you know, <laughs> or uncultured or, un or, you know, 
Unsophisticated. They were just pre-industrial age. That's all they were. They weren't stupid. They just pre-industrial age. So they actually had to figure out how to do very cool things in a much more difficult way than we have to figure it out. So pretty amazing. So he goes to Trent, but look at the, the, the amount of uh, protection that they bring. So they are ready to do this at night, too, which is very unusual. So this is for Governor Felix. And there's the, uh, there's the letter. Now, Claudius kind of uh, fudges it a little bit because he doesn't tell him I was about to kill him until he found out he was a, I beat him and soundly and I was about to kill him. And, uh, <laughs> but he does say he's a Roman citizen, so I'm bringing him to you. They have questions about their law. There's no charge that deserves death or imprisonment but I'm gonna send them to you. So I'm passing this headache on to you, is essentially what it is. So he sends them all. Verse 31, the soldiers carried their orders, took Paul with them during the night, brought him as far as Antipas, about 30 miles, about halfway, and then the cavalry went on with him, and they returned to the barracks. So about half the crew went on with them, and they delivered the letter to the governor. So now, then he says, um, he says, I'll hear your case when your accusers get here. So Paul is safely uh, in Caesarea in the presence of the governor, Governor Felix. Let me give you a little info on Felix. He's a piece of work, this guy. So Felix and his brother were slaves. And they were freed slaves because they did an act of service for the emperor. And the emperor actually made Paulus, um, Felix's brother, uh, is it Fe yeah. Felix's brother, um, like his comptroller hmm. in, uh, in Rome. And then he spoke on behalf of his brother, Felix, and Felix became the governor then of Judea, Palestine, what we would call Palestine. Well, Romans actually coined that term. That's where we get the term Palestine, is from the Roman Empire. So they were both released slaves. The quote on Felix, forgive me, I, please forgive me, I... It is one of my great values to be well prepared, and I'm not as well prepared today as I'd like to. My notes are gone from me somewhere. Um, but Felix, it said, was he had the, gosh, he had the temperament of a slave, oh, with the power of a, of a governor, of a ruler. So he has this slave's temperament. So in other words, in a slave's temperament, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get even. So he has this mean streak, this nasty mean streak, and the power to do it. So that's kind of what his reputation was. In fact, he got booted out uh, because of his cruelty and so forth uh, in that time. But anyway, and also he was big on bribes. You'll hear it in the text here. He kind of keeps hinting at Paul. And in fact, doesn't he stay there a couple years? Two years. Mm -hmm. He's like two years in Caesarea because Felix is trying to get money out of him. In fact, he doesn't care who he gets the money from. He asks the Jews too. So when they come over from Jerusalem to accuse him, he kind of hints around at them. Hey, if you'll give me enough bribe, I'll kill this guy. I'll execute him for you. And, uh, and then on the other hand, he's talking to Paul's friends who are visiting him. Hey, you give me a bribe, I can, I can let Paul go. So, but nobody ever plays ball with him. So for two years, Paul is in prison in Caesarea. Okay. So, yes, sir. I was just wondering, even though the killings and everything were so barbaric, you know. Mm -hmm. they, they, there was still, uh, they, life was still had value. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jews could not kill Jews. Well, they weren't legally allowed to execute them and under Roman law. Right. I just get this sense that they just can't take care of business mm. because uh, the Romans would say, 
you know, what the heck is going on here? Right. You can't kill people. Well, and they did do it. I mean, you remember when Jesus is on trial and, and Pontius Pilate offers Barabbas? He was essentially a terrorist who had mm -hmm. killed a number of people, Jews included. Remember how terrorists work, right? They may get the target, but they kill a whole bunch of other people along, along the way. I mean, when you read the statistics from Afghanistan and Iraq and so forth, the, the, the Muslim jihadists have killed far, far, I mean, exponentially more of their own people and citizens for the sake of killing a few uh, Westerners, American soldiers and so forth. It's just stunning when you read it. So the so it's not legal for them to do it, but they still are doing but it. Someone <coughs> had to hold them accountable, I think. Right. You know. Right. They just couldn't go out and start doing this because they had value. They there was still some value there. They yeah, I think I get what you're mull, saying. Mull them down and Let me say it this way: They'd have killed Paul in a heartbeat if they felt they could have done it and got away with it. Yeah. Okay. They'd have done it in a second. But some, but they felt, I mean, they would be responsible and they didn't want that responsibility. Right. I mean, if you were convicted as a terrorist or acting, um, you know, a murderer, you might be crucified or executed immediately or have to be. Oh, so is. these guys don't want to endure that. Right. I mean, there's yeah. a... Yeah. So, but if there wasn't that Roman rule, they'd have killed Paul in a minute. Okay. So, you know how value of life goes. My life matters, right? <laughs> and the value of the people I like matters. Everybody else can. I mean, that, that is a, I will say that is a fundamental change from the ancient world to today. We, we live, we do not live with the constant specter of death. Think how many ways these people could die. Right? I mean, just think of the hundreds of ways they could die like that, that we don't. You get a cold, you get the flu, you get... You get a, a cut. They don't know about germs. They don't know about, you know, you're amputated and you're dead. I mean, you're just dead, you know. You get a, an ailment. I don't know. You, 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 they don't have eyeglasses. You walk off the ledge. You know what I mean? People die. Women died in childbirth in droves. Infant mortality rate was huge. So if you survived, you know, it was a big deal. So... Today, we hold life in such esteem in some ways and then not at all in other ways. I mean, think of the, ex the extreme measures we will take. If you hadn't heard this, uh, Rod and Chris Jennigan's son, Tim, passed away. And it was, a, it was shocking. He collapsed in the in store. And uh, they didn't know what it was, stroke, heart, aneurysm. They didn't know. But he, is, he was without oxygen for too long. They put him in a medically induced coma. And when they, when they did bring him out of it, they, they discovered he had no brain function at all. So talk about out of the blue, right? But the heroic efforts that were made, right? Think of the heroic efforts that were made for a person in which the likelihood of his recovery was probably about 10% from the, when they brought him in. They had some hope, but boy, it was just a slim, slender hope all along. But think of the hundreds of thousands of dollars that was expended to save one person. So on the one hand, you can make the argument in our culture, and I do this with my confirmation kids when we talk about Fifth Commandment. I say we are very passive-aggressive and very schizophrenic in this Western culture about life. 
on the one hand, we will go to heroic efforts, and on the other hand, we cast aside unborn life, pre-born life, as if it is medical refuse. And so, what does that say about us? Or even how we treat our elderly at times, sometimes with great honor, and other times as if they are of no value. You know, I mean, we're so schizophrenic. So, value of life issues are, are big deals. Okay, so here we go. So now he's now in, now we're in chapter twenty-four. So now he's before Felix. And the, anyway, let me point out a couple things. So Paul goes on and he wants to present his case. And essentially, they do this kind of thing where they they always compliment the guy, they flatter the guy. Oh, you're awesome, and we have peace, and isn't it great? And uh, here our thing. Go ahead and kill this guy that we don't like. So this man's been a troublemaker. Verse five in chapter twenty-four, he stirs up riots. He's a ringleader of the Nazarene sect, right? Jesus was from Nazareth. He even tried to desecrate the temple. That was that's a lie. But so we seized him. And so you can examine him. And other Jews joined in the accusation. So then the governor says, "Okay, Paul, your turn." So Paul then goes on to share, right? You've been a judge over this nation. I make my defense. Um, Twelve days ago, I went to Jerusalem. Gives him the whole story. So look at verse 14. However, I admit that I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. Okay, so he, and then he goes on. He says, and I, um, I believe everything that agrees with the law and that is written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked, so I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. So look at the way he frames that. It's interesting, isn't it? He says, hey, I'm a Jew just like these guys, but I'm a follower of the way. Now, whether he's unpacked that and knows that, what that means is, and we think that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, that's where we get a problem. But he says, I follow the law. I agree with the law, just like these guys. So they are an official sect. They are a, regu they are a regularized uh, religion and so forth. So then he goes through this and says, I was bringing uh, an offering for the famine to the people, and then they ganged up on me. Okay, and this is why I stand here today. They falsely accused me. They have a plot to kill my life. They took me before their ruling council, and that's why I'm here. But look at what it says, verse 21. It was the one thing I shouted as I stood in their presence. It is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. That is a really interesting, if you mark in your Bibles, that's worth marking. Because that's the reason that any Christian would be on trial. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, right? It's all silliness. It's all a great big lie. Paul makes that argument in 1 Corinthians 15. That precedes this testimony. He's already written that letter. That letter we studied earlier. And so it is because of the resurrection of the dead. If Christ had not been raised... None of this. We would not even be having this conversation. That's why I'm here today. Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way. That's kind of neat. right? So he's well acquainted with Christianity and the followers of Jesus. Adjourned the proceedings. When Lysias, the commander, comes, I'll decide your case. Well, no, he doesn't. So he allows him a certain amount of freedom. Look at verse 24. Another interesting historical note. Felix came with his wife, Drusilla. She was a Jewess. So isn't that interesting? So Felix, this former slave, who's now in the ruling caste of the Roman Empire, married a, a Jewish woman, Drusilla. 
He sent for Paul, listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. This is interesting because those three things cut right to the core of Felix's character. Okay, mm -hmm. did you see what he said? Righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. He's, he's talking right to Felix because everybody knows his reputation. So righteous living, self-control and discipline in your life, and there will be a judgment. How, what are you going to do when that happens, Governor Felix? Right? What are you going to do? Felix was afraid, it says. Very interesting textual note. said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I'll send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. So he sent for him frequently and talked with him. Isn't that a, just a, an, a really interesting comment? Like even with all the coronavirus stuff going on, the prayer that should be on our lips is, Lord, how will you use this to draw us closer to you? How will you use it? We're not, our prayer should not simply be, Lord, keep me from getting sick. Keep those I love from getting sick. That's okay. There's a bigger prayer. There's a bigger prayer. Because you know what? You're going to get sick if you get sick. Do the things we do. Wash your hands. Take care of yourself. Do the things we do. Be thoughtful of others. I mean, that's what we're trying to do. But really, to your, our prayer should be, Lord, how will you use this? Because people are anxious. People are fearful. People, are, people panic and overreact or under or whatever. How will you use this? That, I'll bet you, was Paul's prayer all along while he was in prison. Lord, how will you use this? I didn't want to be in this position. I'd like to be freely sharing the gospel all around the Roman Empire. But I'm in this situation in prison. How will you use it? That, I think, is a great prayer for the follower of Christ. And look at what happens. Felix is wanting a bribe, but what does it cause him to do? Listen to Paul over and over and over and over. It's great, and he's, you know he's never alone. So he's bringing in his courtiers, he's bringing in other people, his wife, Drusilla. And so over and over and over again, Paul gets to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who'd have thought? So I just think it's a great commentary on when we are disappointed with God or frustrated with our circumstance or setting, our prayer really should be, God, what will you do? How will you, what will you do in this situation? So now, verse 27, when two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, a much better uh, ruler, much better leader and administrator. Um, but because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. So he could have released Paul, doesn't do it. To be honest, it's probably good. If Paul had been released, they'd probably found a way to kill him. So now the next governor comes in, and then that's Festus. So chapter 25. <clears throat> so let's just do an intro to this, and then we'll just kind of keep going. We've got a few minutes left. So Festus went up to Caesarea, the chief priests and Jewish leaders, and they want to get his ear before he gets there, right? So they come up and they bend Festus's ear. Um, let me just see. What does my note say about Festus? Oh, yeah. Okay, so Felix was recalled to Rome in AD 59-60 to answer for disturbances and irregularities in his rule, such as his handling of riots between Jewish and Syrian inhabitants. So, probably also for taking bribes. Festus is not mentioned in existing historical records before his arrival in Palestine. He died in office after two years, but his record for that time shows wisdom and honesty superior to both his predecessor, uh, Felix, and his successor, Albinus. Albinus is not mentioned in the Book of Acts. So anyway, there you go. There's a little bit of an introduction to that. 
So verse 3, they urgently requested Festus as a favor to them to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem for they were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. Probably Fe very hungry by then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <And thirsty. laughs> Maybe they're, re they're replacements. <laughs> Festus answered, Paul is being held at Caesarea and I myself am going there soon. Let some of your leaders come with me and press charges against the man there if he's done anything wrong. And they, the Jewish leaders probably going, we've already done that. But... So then eight or ten days with them, then he goes down to Jerusalem, uh, to Caesarea, and he convened the court, ordered Paul to come before him. So Paul makes his defense in verse 8, I haven't done anything wrong. Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, and here, what's his point? What's he trying to do? Maintain the peace. peace. Right? So if he can give the Jews a favor, he keeps the peace. Because Paul is just one guy. And so he's trying to keep the peace. So he says, Paul says, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial? Paul essentially says, no. <laughs> I'm not willing to go to Jerusalem to stand trial. Um, I'm, a, I'm a Roman citizen. Look how it ends the paragraph at the end of verse 11. I appeal to Caesar. And that was his right. So that's where we stand. We'll pick it up there and, uh, and go from there. So Festus says, you've appealed to, appealed to Caesar. Uh, to Caesar you will go. So anyway, Agrippa and Bernice show up. Bernice, a great Christian name too. And I think Bernice was a Christian. Anyway, we'll check it out next week. So again, if I'm going to appeal to you. We would love to have good contact information for you because the challenge for us is going to be, as we make decisions, how do we meet and in what way? Um, what will be restrictions on us? what's wise in terms of because you know what we're doing with all of these things you do understand the principle it, it isn't getting rid of the virus it's flattening the bell curve is the way it's been described to me by a couple of docs it's just trying to flatten the curve giving us more time slowing the spread because it's not like it's like we can fix it but the more time we give ourselves we might be able to you know minimize that so we're doing that for the sake of the gospel Please know this too, I mean theologically, what a blessing that we have the technology that we have to be able to make things available to people. So we do encourage people, if you're concerned at all, we, we just say discretion is the better part of valor. Don't hesitate to call your pastors or if you need care to call on our elders and others to be able to minister to you. If you have any questions or comments, we're happy to field it.